here. Let me pray, and then we'll jump right in. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you that your presence is here because your word promises us that. And so I just ask, Lord, that you would come in power today. Pray that you would speak right into our lives. I pray that you would open our eyes uh, and just that you would speak a powerful word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's jump in. We are in the middle, uh, y'all probably remember, of a seven-week series, and it's titled I Am. And so we're looking at Exodus 34 has really been our anchor passage of Yahweh when uh, the great I Am passes before Moses and calls out his name. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh, and then he begins to describe who that is and who he is. And so we're looking closely today um, and all, really every week at who I am says he is because we don't just follow this big universal God, this big um, kind of vague nebulous God, but our God, Yahweh, has a name and he, has, uh, he wants us to know him. He's a relational God. And so we've looked at his descriptions of himself in uh, verse 6, it says this, your listing guides are on the table. It said, the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. So we looked at what that meant. That God's baseline emotion for you and for me is always mercy. Always mercy. And he says, I'm slow to anger. And I'm filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And then he says, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. And today we're going to camp out on this last line. He says, I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And so I want us to look more closely today. What does that mean? Um, iniquity, rebellion, and sin. So let's break it down, and then I'm going to talk a little bit more in depth about this. Iniquity means this. They don't all mean the same thing. They're all uh, unique in description. Uni uh, iniquity means a, a perversion of thought. Or perverse mindset. It means when we don't think right. When we have a perverse thought or depravity of mind is what iniquity means. And so that um, speaks to our thoughts. It speaks to our motives. Rebellion is also used, it's also translated transgressions. And that is flat out rebellion, just what it is. It's flat out rebellion, transgressions, independent acts on your own to get needs met that only God can meet. Really, the root of all sin, C.S. Lewis said, is the belief that God isn't good. I totally agree with that. And I think there's times in my life when I'm afraid that God's not good enough or he's not willing to meet a need that I think I need met. And so I decide to step outside of his best interest for me and take matters into my own hands, and that's called sin. It's acting independently of God, and it's rebellion. It's rebellion. I don't want to wait any longer on you, Lord. I don't want to do what you've asked me to do. I don't want to not do what you've asked me not to do. So I'm going to really call the shots. So that's what rebellion means. And then sin, I think it's important that we notice that it's a singular word, sin. It doesn't say sins, plural. So I want to talk about what that means. Sin is really a condition of our heart that we're born with. And it goes way back to Genesis 2 when uh, Eve first ate the fruit and sin came into the world. But oftentimes, if you're like me, we think that sins are just mistakes that we make, bad choices. It's bad girl behavior. And so we think sins is just, it's just, that's just what it is. 
But really the root of that behavior is stemming from a condition called sin. I want you to think of it like cancer in your heart, like a cancerous black tumor on your heart that you're born with and you need a savior. You need a physician, the great physician to heal it. You can't heal it on your own. But because of that cancerous dark heart, all things bleed out of our lives that tend to be sins, plural. So if I've got the flu, my symptoms may be a snotty nose, an aching body, fever, but the root of it is flu. And so when I go to a doctor, he doesn't say, well, here's some tissue and here's some Tylenol. Best of luck. No, he usually does blood work or he can look at you and say, you've got the flu and here's how we're going to treat it with Tamiflu. That's going to help you and then you'll get to the root of it. And so sin is a condition that we're born with. But oftentimes in our Western Christian world, we've summarized Christianity to just mean um, God wants to make bad people good. Jesus died so that I would act right. Jesus died so that he could make bad people good people. And the truth of Christianity is Jesus died so that he could make dead people alive. Dead people alive. Why do I say that? Because scripture says that being born into sin means that we're dead in our spirits. We're dead in our sin and transgressions. I want you to look in that. I'm going to draw something to help bring this to light a little bit more. In Genesis chapter 2, it says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend to and watch over it. But it says, The Lord God warned him, You may eat freely of every fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. You're sure to die. Now, why would he say die? Because if you look in Genesis 3, they ate the fruit, but they continued to breathe. They were still alive. In fact, God was speaking to them. He searched for them. It said when they ate the fruit, they realized all of a sudden that they were naked and they felt shameful. And because of the shame that filled them, they ran away and they hid from God. So what does it mean then? In Ephesians 2, 1, it says, You were dead in, the tresp- in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead in your sins. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. So what does that mean? I want to draw a, a, a diagram, and I think this may help make better sense. So we are made up of three parts, you and me, little girls. Did you know that? Probably not. I'm sure you did. All right, first is our body. That's our physical body. Now, this is kind of the earth suit that we live in. Some of us have earth suits with shiny brunette hair that's sparkly. Others of us have wiry, uncontrollable, curly hair. Some of us have thighs that we love. Some of us wish they were a little smaller. Some of us have, you know what I'm saying, it's our physical bodies that we are born with. That's our physical body. We also, that also makes up our five senses, our physical body. The second part of us is our soul. And our soul, many people think that we're just made up of body and soul, that we're just two parts, body and soul. But I would challenge us today that I think Scripture speaks differently to that. But the soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. It's also our personalities. So our soul 
is our feeling part of us. Oftentimes, people will say, I found my soulmate. We'll talk about that in a minute. Our soulmate. But that's our mind, our thinking, our chooser, and our emotion, our feeler, is our soul. Scripture says, though, that we're also spirit. Spirit. And our spirit is where our identity is found. Our spirit is how we connect to God, to Yahweh. And so to be dead in our sin, we might still be alive, but if we've not been redeemed, and what I mean by that word redeemed, if we've not received forgiveness for our sin, we're not connected to the Lord. And so we're not made alive by Christ. We're not connecting to Yahweh. Because Yahweh is holy, and so Yahweh can't interact and become tainted with sin. And so instead, he brought a remedy for sin called Jesus. And Jesus makes us alive again in our spirit. But until we know him, our spirit is disconnected and we are dead in our sin. And so it's, it's like I said earlier, it's like a cancerous darkness in our heart. Have you ever heard people say you've got a hole in your heart? You'll hear that some. And I think that's probably what they're referring to. But I was born Laura Kimbriel Coleman. I was born into this world. I had curly hair. I lived. I enjoyed growing up. But I never really understood what it meant to have a relationship with Christ. Therefore, I may have prayed some. But I certainly didn't feel connected to the Lord until someone told me about this. And so when Yahweh says in, ver in chapter 34, I forgive your iniquities, your rebellion, and your sin... What he's saying is I don't just say it's okay, now do better next time. That's not what forgiveness means. Forgiveness means I'm going to come in. I'm going to heal that. I'm going to uproot the power of sin in your life. I'm going to make you alive, and you're going to be able to walk with a power that you didn't have before. And on top of it, you're going to know me like you didn't know me before because we're connected now. Because your spirit has been made alive. Alive. So sin makes my spirit dead. Jesus makes my spirit alive. And so I want you to think about it for, for like this. Is all of us have come into this world, and, and I don't care what race, nationality, what color your skin is, where you grew up. All of us have come into this world, and there's a sense, there's an itch in our souls and in our spirits that can't get scratched. That we think, what am I here for? What's my purpose Am I loved? Am I accepted? And how do I know that to be true? And on our own, we spend our time and our souls here trying to get those needs met. When really God is allowing that unsettledness in our spirit to draw us to him. Does that make sense? And so what we tend to do is we try and find God in all sorts of ways. And when I say find God, you're tr what I mean by that is we're trying to... We're trying to make ourselves reconnected to the Father. We may not know that yet. But we were all born with a desire to get back home. We were all born with a desire to be connected to our Creator. We were all born with the desire to know why we're on this earth. We were all born with the desire to know that someone sees us, has a plan for us, is it work? Can heal us? We are all born with that desire. 
And it comes out in all different ways. And it, typically you'll see this in men, a desire just to make something of themselves. Because somehow, if they feel in, um, adequate enough, then that's going to scratch the itch. And so success is really important to men. For women, you really see this come out a lot in a desire to be loved and to be seen, to be known. Do I matter? Am I lovely? Am I beautiful? Am I worthy? And so we, we, we all have this craving, this desire, and that desire is to be reconnected to our creator, but we don't necessarily always know that. We can't really put, it, put our finger on it. We just know something's not right. And so the world will say, well, here's what's not right, is you need a soulmate. You need, I mean, rom-com movies are, I mean, the billion-dollar industry because we need a soulmate. Because when we get a soulmate, that's what's going to make this okay. This gets okay when I find a soulmate. How many of, has, that, has that worked for any of us that are married or that are dating? It's like, oh, shoot. You're human too. Dang it. Oh. But, but we, we, we start our lives on this hunt, this hunt to get filled, to get filled. And you'll see it. You'll see it oftentimes and even in little kids. Watch me. Watch me. Am I worthy? Watch me do this. Do you approve of me? Do you love me? Am I safe here? Am I secure? And so we look for it in soulmates. We look for it in stuff. I was sharing this yesterday. Is my I've driven a Tahoe forever, and it died this summer. It died. Had to put it out to pasture. So I've waited because I'm like, I, there's a certain one that I want, and whatever. I found one. I bought it, and it really didn't make all this okay. I was like, shoot, I've had this car for ten minutes, and and my nephew hit a ball and it dented it, and I'm like, it really is just a thing. I'm the same person driving it that I was when I wasn't driving it. Dang it. This hasn't met everything. But yet something in us in this world tells us that the more we possess, the better we feel. The better we feel. And so we're, we're on a hunt, even if we don't know it, to, to rid ourselves of this darkness. Oftentimes we think, well, I'm just going to be really good. I'm going to be really good. And we do that for a while, but then after a while, it just gets really tiring. I don't want to be really good. I'm not good at being really good. Right? And so the Lord says in Ephesians 2, he says, but God, but God. We were dead in our sins, meaning we were, we were left really to figure it out. We were walking on our own, trying in our own futile minds and in our own strength. How do I feel Fill this void in me. And it says, but God who is rich in mercy. Again, his baseline compassion. He's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Even when we were dead. To be dead in our trespasses means to be disconnected from the Father. It means to be disconnected, to be cut off from the Father. And as long as I'm disconnected and cut off from the Father, I will be unsettled. I will be far from home. I will be wandering. I will feel lost. I will feel despair. I won't know joy. I won't know peace that's lasting. In my darkest hour, 
If I'm disconnected from the Father, all hope is lost. All hope is lost. But if my spirit has been made alive through Christ, there's always hope. There's always hope. And I have found in my darkest hour, he comes to me. And he speaks to me. In my spirit, they testify. I'm with you. I see you. You're not alone. I've got a plan for you. I'm working good in what seems like awful situations here. It's the difference between life and death, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. So I want us to look for a minute. In ex, uh, we are in Ezekiel 37, and I want us to see this as the Lord lays this out in a clearer picture for us. And I hope that this begins to kind of take root in our hearts today. In, ex, in Ezekiel 37, in verse 1, the Lord is taking Ezekiel the prophet on a mission, and this is what he does. It says, The Lord took hold of me, this is Ezekiel speaking, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. And he led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. And they were scattered everywhere across the ground, and they were completely dried out. And then he asked me, he said, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? I wonder today if anyone can relate to what it feels like to feel like you are a walking set of dry bones. You're dried out. You're tired. You feel hollow. You feel like a sack of bones. The Lord is showing Ezekiel this picture, and then he says to Ezekiel, do you think they'll ever live again? Have any of us wondered that? Have you ever thought that? Will I ever live again? Will I ever feel what it feels like to be really alive? Ezekiel answers and he says, O sovereign Lord, only you and you alone know the answer to that. Verse 4, it says, Then he said to me, the Lord is speaking he, uh, to Ezekiel, he says, Speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. He says, Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you, and I will cover you with skin. I will put breath into you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. This was the Lord's doing. Verse 7, it says, So then I spoke this message just as he told me. And suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. And the bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. And then, as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. Then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Okay, I want you to think about that for just a second. You're standing up here with God, and you're looking out, and there's a valley of dry bones, and they're scattered everywhere. And with the word of the Lord, they start to form. And the ankle attaches to the foot, which attaches to the shin, to the knee. And all of a sudden, fingers are attaching to the wrist. And all of a sudden, there's bodies everywhere. But there's still no breath. And so what we're seeing here are bodies without the spirit of the living God. And I want you to think about that for just a minute in our society today. Have you ever felt like a walking dead person? Here's what the truth is. The truth is, is that 
those that are that all of us that are born into sin, which is all of us, it says, for the wages of sin is death. It says, all have sinned. Every single one of us. All of us are born in with this condition on our heart. And the truth of the matter is, we're walking dead women until we are made alive in Christ. We're walking dead women until we are made alive in Christ. It really doesn't matter how many times you've sat on a church pew. It doesn't matter how many times I've taught a Bible study, led a Bible study. Until I am made new and made alive in Christ, I'm a walking dead person with information filling my mind. But my spirit is the same. Have you ever wondered to yourself, I've been in Bible study, but there's something not connecting. I I sense, I can see other people are getting it and I can see transformation, but I take two steps forward and then it feels like I take 10 steps back feel like I'm circling around the same drain? What am I missing? What am I missing? Listen, I was born into church, I feel like. I was sprinkled as an infant. My dad was on the elder board or committee from an infant. But until a counselor sat down with me, a camp counselor, and said... Do you have a relationship with Jesus? And I was like, I don't don't even know what that means. And she said, we are all born into sin and we all need forgiveness. And forgiveness doesn't just mean God says, okay, high five, you're fine. Now go out and get better. Forgiveness is not just a check of like, okay, I'm going to overlook the rest now. Forgiveness is healing. Forgiveness is transformation. And forgiveness moves me from a dead woman to an alive woman. And when that was communicated to me, I understood what that meant. That, okay, wait a second. For me to be reconnected and redeemed in the Lord's eyes, I must go through Jesus. And how does that happen? Well, he died on a cross for me. And the blood was the covering for my sin. And when I receive that covering personally for my sin, my spirit is now open to receive his spirit in my life. We are reconnected again, and now my whole perspective and my whole outlook has changed in life. That occurred in my life when I was eight years old. And I can tell you this. I had tried to read the Bible and be a good little girl because my Sunday school teacher told me to, which was great. I'm glad she did. But it never made sense. It never made sense. It was always kind of off for me. I didn't really get it. And then when, when a spiritual transformation happened in my heart, I'm not kidding. It was like my eyes became aware for the first time. My mind was opened. And all of a sudden, Scripture spoke to me. That's not because I got smarter. That's because the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, had taken up residency in me. And that happened through forgiveness of my iniquities, transgressions, and sin. Jesus did not come to make bad women good women. He is not a moral police officer, an agent of the Father, here to make sure that we get it right and act better. That is not his agenda for you, and it's not his agenda for me. And you will be taught that sometimes. I certainly um, have, have, whether I was really taught that or I just received it that way, I certainly lived under that. 
Jesus came to make me, Laura Seifert, a woman dead in my sin. I knew one way of life, and that was figure it out yourself. Ask others if you need to, but basically you're on your own. Hopefully you're going to find love. Hopefully you're going to find some purpose. Get a good education so that you can make some money, so that you can have some stuff, which will be fun. But basically the weight's on your shoulders. And if you do enough right things, then hopefully you're going to go to heaven. Because good outweighs the bad. That is not found in Scripture. Scripture says our best works are like filthy rags. And why does he say that? Not to shame us, but to help us understand. I don't have what it takes. There is one way that I approach life when I'm dead in my transgressions, and that is a human way of life. But Jesus says, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. In Colossians, Jesus says, I become your life. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he died for me so that he could give himself to me, so that he could live his life through me. When I receive that and when you receive that and go, yes, I need forgiveness for my iniquities, transgressions, and sin. Jesus, I want that for me. Come into my life. You are made new. Your emotions don't prove that to you. We walk in faith because scripture tells us that's what happens. And then our emotions will catch up. But when I prayed that, when I was eight years old, I really did begin to kind of see my perspective change. And I was enlightened in a way I hadn't been before. But then I began to continue to live out my life. And not long after that, my parents got divorced. And I'm telling you, there were numerous times that I sat on my bed. And I thought, Lord, where are you? And then here comes a youth leader in my life. And then here comes a pastor. And then here comes just his spirit in the night to speak to me. And I had a comfort. There was a presence that I wouldn't have known otherwise. Why? Because I was not a dead little girl. I was alive in Christ. I was alive in Christ, spiritually speaking. And so that's what the Lord is offering every one of us. It says um, that he died for every single one of us. So none of us get to say he didn't die for those people and he died for these people. All are welcome to the table and they come through Jesus the Savior. All are welcome to be made alive. And last week we talked about the Lord being slow to anger because he doesn't want anyone to perish. To be dead is to remain dead means to be disconnected and to be disconnected in eternity. The Lord wants all to come to know him and to be made alive in him. And so at the end of verse 8 it says they still had no breath in them. They still had no breath. I wonder if those zombies were doing like we do oftentimes well I may feel dead but I'll be danged if I'm going to act dead I got to pull it together and so give me get whatever I need to do to make all this up and make all this look like I'm alive let me post some more things on social media to create this image that I am totally alive and then maybe I'll begin to a believe it and then feel it myself I wonder if they were doing that I certainly understand what that's like. 
Y'all, when you're at Whole Foods or wherever you shop, you can better believe wherever you are, there's a sea of walking dead women. Walking dead women. And they're not asking you to judge them for their immoral behavior, tell them they should stop drinking as much, put the credit card away. They are desperate, wondering, where is life? I've got all this stuff. I've been all over the world. I've married the guy. I've got the kids. I've got whatever it is, and I still feel hollow. I still feel dead inside. Maybe because you are. Maybe because you are. And so when Jesus asks us to go out into all the world and to share the gospel, the gospel is simply this. Let me tell you my story. I was dead. And then I became alive. Let me also tell you, life has not been easy and up and to the right. Let me tell you over and over the different wounds that have come into my life. But those wounds have healed because I've had the great healer. And now those scars, I'm happy to share that story with you. And so when I was made alive in Christ, my life didn't turn out perfect and and without disappointment and without frustration, without deep heartache. But I can tell you this. If I felt alone, it's not been a loneliness that's led me to despair. It's been a loneliness that's pressed me back into him until I hear from him. I wait on him. Others come around me. I receive prayer. I've never been without hope. Because I'm alive in Christ. Why? Because I've been forgiven. That's what it means to walk in freedom. That's what it means to walk with Jesus. It just means that you and I were once dead, and now we've been made alive. And I'm, I'm harping on that because I don't know that that's always the clear message received in Western Christianity. I think oftentimes there's a spirit of religion that gets all mixed up in it. And it's really like, okay, he's forgiven you. Now here's what you need to do to be really good. And that's just yuck. And we're not really taught, what does it mean to be alive in Christ? What does it mean to be forgiven, to be loved, to be totally accepted? In verse 9, it says that the Lord said to Ezekiel, he said, okay, well, speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. Without the breath of God, there's not life. In verse 10, it says, so I spoke the message as he commanded me and breath came into their bodies and they all came to life. And they stood on their feet, a great army. I think that's such a beautiful picture. They, they stood to their feet, and they were a great army. You see, the normal thing for Christianity, the normal thing for us as women that are followers of Jesus, that have been made alive, is that we are locked arms and we are an army together. We're never meant to walk this thing out alone. But what Jesus means when 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 scripture talks about an army, he also says in the New Testament, the body of Christ. And what that means is that we are collectively a story that is pointing to Jesus. And in that collective story, there's all sorts of individual stories to tell. 
But not one individual takes center stage. Jesus is always center stage. And so the pressure's off for me that somehow I've got to have this great story or I've got to have this eloquent way to say it and I've got to have all the scripture memorized. I get to lock arms with you and together we get to help one another and say, you're struggling. Let me pray for you. Let me come around you. Let me remind you of who you are. Let me remind you of what is true. And then you get to do the same for me. And as an army, what happens is you've got dead people that are walking that are going, okay, that I've not tried before. Been in church my whole life, but I've not tried that. There's a peace in a community experience that you're having that I don't know about. And then I get to say, let me tell you what it felt like to be dead. And let me tell you what it was like for me, my personal story, to meet Jesus. And then let me tell you what it was like just to, to accept his forgiveness and to allow him to come into my life. You can do that too. It's that simple. I was getting my hair cut, and this guy that was cutting it, we were talking, and he was like, we'd done all the, what do you do, what do you do, that kind of thing. So then he says, what does your husband do? And he was like, I said, he's a pastor. And he was like, oh, man. He was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I said, yeah, I know. I, I mean, what do you say after that? I was like, yeah, crazy. And he said, um, dude, he said, dude, he said, I'm dating this girl. And he said, both her parents are, I don't know, what do you call them? Are they pastors or priests or bishops? I don't know. I said, I don't, I don't know either. I said, it just depends. And he was like, oh man, I had to go meet them. And he said, I cannot even tell you how nervous I was. I was shaken. I was like, dude, I don't know if this, and he was saying it like that. He was like, dude, like he put the scissors down and he was like, dude, I don't know if this is going to work. And I was sweating and I was like, why do you got to make me come meet them? And, and he said, they were cool. They ended up being cool. But I thought it was so interesting. That there's such this perception that his instinctive reaction was, I'm not going to be accepted. I'm not going to be um, wanted. I'm going to be judged. That's religion. That's the spirit of religion. That's not the gospel. Jesus wants to have a meal with him. Jesus wants to sit down. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Let me tell you who the Jesus of, of scriptures is. You're going to want to know him. You're going to want to know him. So Jesus breathed and these dead bodies came to life and they stood to their feet and they were a great, great army. What I love about it is that as a collective army, we get to shine a light on who Jesus is. And then individually, as we share our stories, we get to see the power of God working in each of our lives individually. And then it makes me go, I'm going to trust you again. I'm going to believe again. I started to doubt. I got fearful. I got really down. I began to wonder if you were there. But Lord, because you've been so faithful in her life, Lord, I'm believing it. I'm going to press in again to you. And so today what I wanted to do is I want to show you a video of a story of a friend of mine. Nona Landers is one of our Yes board members. Her daughter is Lindsay Landers. And Lindsay's like a, um, almost like a daughter to me. All of her kids are very, very special to my family. And Lindsay has a beautiful picture, really, of what salvation looks like. She was born with a dark scar on her face, and we get to see kind of her story. But what God did is he used that to reveal himself to her and make her uh, come alive for the first time. And so I want to show this to you, and then I'll come back and, and close this out. 
My name is Lindsay Landers. I'm 23 years old, and I'm from Friendswood, Texas. I don't think there was ever a moment in my life where I didn't feel different. I have scars that wrap from behind my right ear, up around it, and then across my cheek to my nose, and then it crosses down along my nose and along my mouth, and then it goes underneath my chin. I was born with a congenital melanocytic nevus. Most people would recognize this as a mole. Most people have them, actually, but mine was 13 centimeters, and it covered the entire right side of my face. My doctors didn't know what to do with me. They had never seen anything like this before. So the fear was that it would grow. And so there was this urgency as soon as I was born that this needed to be removed. So as soon as my parents knew that I was a baby with a complication, they immediately just started praying and seeking out people who they knew could help them. And Dr. Burns was creating this procedure called skin expansion. So they placed the port right underneath my ear, kind of in my neck. And for nine months every week, my parents would take me to my doctor and he would inject water into that spot. And slowly this water balloon like expanded in my neck. But the purpose of that water balloon was to stretch my skin. So it's that alternative to skin grafting. That surgery was a nine hour surgery. I had hundreds of stitches on my face. I just felt like my scars separated me from people and that until they really knew what happened to me, they couldn't really know me. Kids pointing and kids asking, other kids asking me questions was really routine. I remember one specific traumatic experience of having kind of an exchange with one of my guy friends at the time and just joking back and forth. And then the, the last joke that was made was that I looked like Two-Face. And that still sticks in my mind of being called that because it was immediately like, do I really look that way? Is that really how people perceive me as a monster? It's so different that I look villainous. And I'm just a second grade kid. Like, God, why did you make me look scary? Why, do, why am I scary? In those moments, it was just the feeling of being completely misunderstood. And when you feel misunderstood, you feel completely vulnerable and just sad. I felt like there was this certain standard of beauty that I couldn't live up to. The standard was no scars. The standard was symmetry. And symmetry was something I was never going to have. So when I first started wearing makeup, it was something that I thought a lot about. But there's really no amount of makeup that I could put on that would make my face look symmetrical. <laughs> Just wasn't happening. So that was kind of something I had to come to terms with, that makeup wasn't gonna fix it. 
Since I didn't feel like people could know and understand me just by looking at me, I was constantly trying to compensate for it. Trying to find my identity and anything else so that people wouldn't know me as the girl with scars. I didn't want to be known for that. I have so many memories of just being tired, of feeling like I needed to perform well in order to be accepted by others and never really still feeling like I measured up. And so in that regard, I, I wondered how another person could love me. I wondered how another person could find me beautiful or attractive because I just didn't believe that for myself. And my parents always told me about this perfect God and this perfect Jesus who loved me. And I couldn't understand that. I never really understood why this perfect God would make me imperfect and how he could love me. God used the healing from my birthmark to reveal himself to me. I knew that I needed a savior just the way whenever I was a baby I needed a physician. I needed a doctor. I knew that this black birthmark that I was born with, I couldn't remove myself the same way that my sin I couldn't remove myself. I needed somebody to take this away. I needed somebody to take my wicked heart and make it clean. It was through knowing and understanding Jesus personally that I truly came to believe. I remember very vividly hearing a story for the first time of Jesus rising from the dead and showing his disciples his scars as evidence that he had conquered death and that he was Jesus the Messiah and he was who he says that he was. He used those scars to declare that he was God. And it kind of clicked with me that scars are evidence. They're evidence of God's miracles. I know whenever I look in the mirror, I don't immediately see scars or something that is imperfect. I see God making me perfect. My scars tell the story of the beauty God sees in me. My scars tell my story. Universal things that Lindsay was saying that I think connect to all of us are she wanted to feel accepted and yet she felt rejected. She wanted to feel like she had purpose and yet she felt like she asked questions of like, why? Why is this happening? What do I do? She wanted to feel loved and she didn't. She wanted to feel like she belonged. And so left on our own, we pursue all sorts of different avenues thinking that, that we'll find something that will eventually eventually fill this with light and not darkness. But the only thing that can is Jesus himself. Christ wants to fill each of us. And so I love when Lindsay was able to make the connection that while she needed a physical healing, she needed a doctor. She also needed a spiritual healing. And so when Jesus says, I've come that you might have life, 
What does he mean by that? He means what Yahweh was saying, the great I am in Exodus 34, when he said, I forgive your iniquities, your rebellion, and your sin. What he means by that is he wants to make you dead spiritually. He wants to move you from being dead spiritually to being made alive spiritually. He doesn't say, I want to make your life easy, pain-free, financially secure. He doesn't say those things. Instead, he says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. We live in a broken and fallen world. But take heart. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm the great counselor. I will love you. I will speak to you. I will guide you. I will provide. Paul says, and the same God that meets all of my needs will meet every one of your needs according to his glorious riches found in Jesus. And so at the end of Ezekiel chapter 37, we'll close out in verse 11. It says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. And they are saying, We have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Do you feel that way today? Old dry bones and all hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Verse 12, it says, Therefore prophesy to them and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. O my people, listen ladies, I will open your graves of exile and I will cause you to rise again. And then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And when this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord. Verse 14, listen up. It says, and I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and you will return home to your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I've said. Yes, I, the Lord, have spoken. I want to ask you again today, are you dead or alive? Are you dead or alive? Some of us may not know. I don't, I don't know. I've been around this. I don't know. I've learned. I mean, I know some things, but I don't know. And, and I would say to all of us today, Jesus wants you to be alive more than he wants you to protect your image. Jesus wants you to be alive more than he wants you uh, to stay safe. And so today, what I want to do as we close out is I'm going to pray. And if, if you're not certain, if you've ever said, Lord, I, I need that forgiveness for me. Make me alive in you. Then I want you just to silently pray along with me as I pray. And it's as simple as that. It's a simple prayer of the heart. And after I pray, if you've prayed along with me, I want you to write somewhere that you won't lose, that on October 18th, 2017, you were made alive in Christ. Let me pray with us. Lord, I ask that your spirit would move even as I'm speaking now. Lord, I pray that you would move among these women. I pray that you would give us courage to be truthful. God, I pray that if there's any of us today that aren't quite sure, some of us are really sure that we've been walking dead for a long time, Lord, We just come to you and we say, Jesus, thank you that you've died on the cross for me. Thank you that you forgive my iniquities, my sin, my rebellion. Lord, I accept and receive that free gift that cost you everything on the cross. Come into my life. Take up residency, Lord, and make me alive in Christ.